Welcome to Bleed TV, the podcast of the best shows on TV. And I'm Zach. And tonight I'm doing a solo cast on one of my new favorite documentaries I've ever watched, um, Making a Murderer by um, the Netflix uh, series. It is by and far probably the best documentary I've ever watched, or the one at least I can say I enjoyed the most watching. I was enthralled. I was constantly having to binge watch every little part and so on. And I got a late start because it's been out since December, but uh, I was just so motivated after watching it that, you know, you want to do more than what I'm doing now, just a podcast. But I figured that's my way of uh, giving back to the situation and expressing my opinion and kind of my disbelief about some parts of it. Um, but as to the documentary itself, my opinion is, is it is really top notch. Uh, I highly recommend anybody to watch this. It is a really kind of an eye-opening uh, experience to go through this documentary and what is it, what I consider exposed and shows the justice system and how things are proceeding and so on. And it's uh, it, it's quite epic in my mind, and uh, I look forward to talking about it tonight. But again, it's uh, Making a Murder. This is the story of Stephen Avery, as well as uh, his nephew, Brendan Dassey, but the focus is Stephen uh, Avery. Um, Stephen Avery is a man who, uh, made headlines for, um, basically being in prison for 18 years for a crime he didn't commit. Um, now I will warn you, if you haven't watched this documentary, I would advise you not to listen. Um, I'm going to talk about details from the entire documentary, things I liked, things I didn't like, things I thought were fishy, different things of that nature. And it, it basically is the entire thing is spoiler because, uh, it, you know, it is what it is. So, but moving back, um, the document really is about Stephen Avery. He is, um, tried and convicted, uh, of attempted murder and sexual battery, uh, of a woman, um, by the name of Penny Bernstein. Um, and 18 years later, DNA evidence exonerates him completely. Um, but that's not where the story ends with that situation. Um, come to find out that the documentary really dives deep into how the investigation was handled and how things uh, led to his arrest and how things were not uh, explored, investigated, and kind of handled uh, uh, underhanded or basically just pinpointing towards a certain type of person, basically Stephen Avery. Um, it was just, uh, it was tough. It was tough to see that the system went the way it did, or as they say, failed in any which way you could imagine. Um, but it really did. Um, the, what happened was Penny Bernstein was on the beach, uh, on the beach, um, one of the great lakes, which is outside of Matt as in, uh, Mattawak County. And, um, while she's walking the beach, a man, uh, a man with uh, blondish hair to her description and a leather coat and blue jeans like that was out there as well, was waiting for her. And when they encountered again, he grabbed her, carried her to the bush, uh, tree, bush line, whatever like that. And she was beaten and attempted to be raped. Um, and, uh, was very lucky to get out of the situation alive. Um, the instances that led up to this event no one really knows they don't know if it was a predator premeditated whatever uh, all they knew is they had a woman who was you know basically attempted murder and sexual battery uh, prior to this um, there was a situation where the Avery's Stephen in particular is considered kind of the outcast family of the generation of the area most of them are farmers they deal in junkyards and parts and so on uh, towing business and basically what you would consider the black sheep of the society. And 
you know, and they paint this picture. And I do, do realize this is a documentary and it is meant to incite reaction and it is meant to uh, grab attention and its goal is to seek ratings and, you know, rewards and everything like that. And so you have to take that into account to a point. But I don't believe it was the entire instance of this documentary. I do believe they had a lot of teeth, a lot of evidence into this is what made it so compelling. Um, but his story basically was is that he was trouble, you know, a lot of trouble, B&E, drinking, a lot of different things, um, you know, to a normal society or, you know, your average middle class or lower class, you know, like that. They're just an average people. You know, some people might look at them as less, uh, you know, hillbilly, redneck, whatever you know, kind of description you can imagine. They deal in junk cars, don't value education as much, and uh, they're very tight-knit, all live in a large compound area, very close to each other. Um, and, you know, that's kind of the description. And um, the Mr. Stephen Avery had a run-in with, a, I believe it was a, a cousin, who happened to be married to one of the uh, Matatowoc County uh, Sheriff's Departments. Uh, officers and in this event you know the woman was supposedly was running uh, running her mouth setting rumors doing different things and this angered Stephen and it led to an altercation where they you know there was uh, a running off the road and threats of violence and so on and then shortly after thus this Penny Bernstein gets attacked um, uh, in this beachy area on the other side of Matagawa County well at this time you know this beating was brutal her face was extremely marred. Her eyes were blur, you know, blurry. You couldn't see. They were so black, so on. And these are the details I want to talk about the case that were good and bad. Uh, number one, of course, you have a woman who's beaten. She has a description of the person and so on. The things that were obviously really, really bad, of course, is that the the sheriff, um, the de- deputy, which was a female, who gave came and wrote her statement, even mentioned Stephen Avery as a person who might be possible the sheriff that drew a mugshot um it is almost identical resemblance to his original mugshot and these pieces of information basically led to his conviction um no matter that there was another officer who was from another county that says we've been watching a predator and this guy fits the description it could very much be him uh, they didn't care and of course so we all know he was wrongly convicted they you know they uh they focused on him and him alone, made their case, and moved on, you know. Well, the show really gets going about when it shows 18 years later, and you see him being released from prison, and you realize when they start asking questions about what happened back then, you realize the snakes that were around. This DA who becomes concerned with his career, you know, some of the sheriffs, the deputies, and so on, and you realize how much malfeasance was going on, and it is disgusting. And it's a it's a sad because you want to believe that police, you know, did their job, and you wanted you want to believe that they, you know, there's no bias and everything else. And in this case, you can just clearly see there was absolutely no other way other than they were just out to get this guy, and they were going to make it stick. Um, you know, and this was even communicated by the sheriff, you know, we've got our man when he was told there's somebody else that is very likely this and guess what end up being that exact person through DNA evidence. So, um, this, this in itself was just an absolute travesty. Uh, I just, I can't believe that, uh, it, you know, it went to that length that allowed that for this person to do this and allow them these persons to do this to this man just because they're he was indifferent considered different lower class you know scum of society or whatever you want to call it 
you know, and it's just, it's, it's absolutely baffling. Um, and uh, I mean, the, the, the victim heard the name Stephen Avery in uh, the, from the police officer in the description. She is, her vision is blurred due to the, her injuries and they show her a, uh, the sketch of a, a, you know, supposedly a police drawing, um, based on what she described in her deal. And it's the identical drawing to his mugshot. And then we use that same mugshot and array for her to look at and guess who she points out, <laughs> Stephen Avery. So it, it's just, ugh, man, if you've watched this and you saw it, you were disgusted. Your stomach turned. You realize that somebody who's completely innocent, you know, who, yes, don't get me wrong, had a checkered past and, you know, that doesn't help his situation. Um, but still, you, you want to believe that justice is, you know, is blind and, you know, and fair and so on. And it is not. And it's just, it's amazing in today's world that, that it can get to this point, you know, um, but when they moved on and he was exonerated in 2003 from DNA, and of course that same DNA was able to find out that it was the other person that we had, the other officers in another county actually suspected, you know, the sheriff took tail and, you know, changed his words. The DA was not going well. The officers involved, all this, you know, all, they all got deposed. And, and you realize really, really quick that, things were going south because it the documented did an amazing job of showing these depositions of uh, these interviews of each one of them and you could just see them squirming in their own skin i don't recall i don't remember saying that i don't this i don't that you know and even when they were put on point you know well, according to your report it says this well if the report says it i guess i said it or this that. it was so obvious that they were basically caught with their hand in the cookie jar and you know, there was a little part of me that was going through this, going pumping my fist, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is, you know, this is what it's, this is, this is true justice. This is what it should be. This shouldn't be getting to this point, you know. And I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying every second to see that these people who basically have basically been proven to doing their job absolutely wrong, and you know, skirting the truth and putting a man for eighteen years in prison, eighteen years. Uh, I mean, I just can't even fathom that not only that he was arrested and put away days after his wife giving birth to twins and you know having three or four and just being completely ripped away and i i mean there's some cold sons of guns there boy i mean you know there's special places in hell for people who do this you know who don't you know there was just never even an inkling that they were going to search for anyone else during this entire ordeal and that is what it just infuriates me and it was making me enjoy these depositions because, you know, in my mind, somebody gets exonerated after 18 years. I'm thinking ching payday. I'm thinking they're going to sue the fire out of these jokers and we're going to make us some serious money. And <clears throat> I really, really enjoyed that. I mean, these suckers deserve to pay. I mean, it's obvious. I mean, you've robbed a man of his entire life just about. And during that time he was incarcerated, he lost his family. His children went away. His wife went away. He was alone. He came out with all he had was a mother and father who never gave up on him, a few family members and so on. And that's all he had. And luckily, people took pity upon him and looked at him things and really believed and they never gave up. And voila, he got exonerated. And so I'm thinking, how much is 18 years worth? 18 years of your life. And this documentary does a phenomenal job of showing how the state of Wisconsin thinks about this, and which kind of makes me wonder, hmm, do I want to look at my life? You know, what, what happens around here when somebody gets put away? What kind of settlements are involved? But anyway, 
that this time he becomes exonerated and Stephen Avery becomes famous a little bit, which I thought was great. It was awesome to see people kind of get behind him. But, you know, you always go look at it, too. That's two, two different ways. You know, you got a state representative, you got governors like that, and they're getting behind him, and they want to, you know, do these things. But it's a publicity stunt. They're using him as their own PR. They're, you know, their own favor. Look, you know, we're behind this man who was wrongly convicted, and da 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 da, and so on. You know, and and I think that's great and stuff. It helps Avery's case, and I think it's awesome. Um, but the key thing here is, I was like, okay, well, how is the state going to look into this once they realize this? Because you know he's finna sue, and so. The attorney general is brought in to look at this and they bring in two investigators and they go through all these things and depose all that. And I mean, their stuff is groundbreaking. The comments, the investigation, what they brought and so on into anybody, including myself like that. You're thinking when this is the report's done, boom, you're going to put the, the, all these jokers, the DA, the sheriff, his deputies, all these people who wrongfully did Mr. Avery, they're going to be the nails and Mr. Avery's going to be the hammer and because he's about to get his justice. And guess what? The attorney general says no. They give him no wrongdoing or nothing out of the ordinary, whatever you want to call it. And I mean, my f- jaw hit the floor. I almost dropped my iPad. I almost... I almost wanted to holler. I was like, are you kidding me? And so that just shows this documentary is doing its part to make you realize, you know, the emotion and the just the, the grit you feel for a person who has been treated so poorly just because he's perceived as poor and less quality than other people. And that, that shouldn't, that's not, it never should be that way, even though it is human nature. And, you know, that is the society we live in today. And it, it's just beyond sad. You know, and I, I dare to say there's a person out there who says, yeah, I don't think he deserved it. I, I think that the cops are right and so on. And I, I'm telling you, you're few and far between after listening to the first part of this. But, you know, the state representative, I can't remember his name, he you know, he does a good job. And they come to this conclusion, it's like uh, they want to pay Avery for his time, you know, and it's like $5,000 a, a year, which is pinochle. I mean, give me a break. You know, and they get it bumped up to twenty five grand. He ends up getting somewhere around four hundred fifty thousand dollars, and that's all great and all. But really, do you really think that covers the wages of a person who's been incarcerated for eighteen years, who's not able to be with their family? You know, create those memories and experiences of life and everything for eighteen years. It just is mind boggling, and we come up with a number of four hundred fifty some thousand dollars. And, I mean, it's better than what he was going to get, but still, I mean, wow. I mean, really wow. Um, so, of course, you know, Avery plans to sue. He's got, you know, some decent attorneys. And they're going to go after him. And then you realize, you know, the biggest thing I heard, the detail that was coming out next was, is that the insurance company from Mattawak County comes out and says, that this, when they're getting disposed for this lawsuit, they will not cover due to whatever various clause in their insurance, thus putting Mattawak County and the people involved on the hook for the financial part of this lawsuit. And man, oh man, when that came out, it didn't take them long for something to change. And that leads us to the next part of, you know, basically, the disappearance and murder of uh, Teresa um, Hollbach. And that that right there, the timing is just woo. Um, 
in 2005, basically on uh, Halloween, uh, October 31st, like that, Teresa Hollebach, who was a photographer, worked for Auto Trader. And at that time, Auto Trader, you send somebody out and you, you pay them to take pictures of your vehicle, and thus they put the ad in the vehicle, on the, on the car, in their magazine. Uh, she was last seen at the Stephen Avery's uh, residence to take a picture of a van he was selling. Um, there was, you know, they had a receipt, the whole nine yards. He never denies it and says she left her way. Um, well, this disappearance and murder happens within, within the first few weeks of the depositions or the, the individual, the guilty parties or per se, according to Stephen Avery, of the malfeasance of his you know, arrest and conviction. And the timing is so pivotal. They don't even get a chance to depose everyone to even get into this lawsuit before all of a sudden this woman's missing and Stephen Avery is the prime suspect. And the circumstances of the case, you know, are very iffy and very sketchy and so on. But again, you have to go into the effect of this is a TV show. This is a something that wants to create, uh, you know, that drama that wants to create that heart, that pull of the heartstrings. It wants you to get angry and wants you to believe exactly what they're feeding you and so on. So I really, really tried to focus on pulling back the reins a little bit, really trying to digest the information for whatever they gave you as it's fact, as it can give to you, as you can decipher. If it was an opinion or if it was somebody's interpretation or so on, I kind of tried to erase it from my notes and just kind of really look at what was actually actually there you know that you could decipher the videos and the you know the evidence collections and different things of that nature and the, you, know, you really try to make that judgment call on your own as if you were a person on the jury and and so the, the evidence that was presented was is that you know Avery of course is your prime suspect now logically very so what, who's the last person to see this person alive Stephen Avery was okay according to anybody that's where her last stop was where she was taking her last pictures and from that point forward she was never heard from or seen by anybody else they've ever spoken to during the investigation so she he is an obvious choice he comes out on tv yes she was here she took pictures she left a merry way i paid her money blah 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 and the whole nine yards, you know, he was never, there was never any of the TV interviews or any of the information they gave you like that. There was never a situation where you looked at him and go, okay, he looks like he's lying or he's not telling the whole truth or anything like that. But then again, these are short clips from news stations back in the day. So I didn't consider that like heavyweight material. But according to the investigation, and as the documentary did a good job of presenting, they that Stephen Avery's place is uh, Stephen Avery's place was given a warrant and it was in basically impounded as is where no one could come onto the property. Okay. While they did their search. Now, the reason they did this is because while they were searching for Hollabach, because they never found her, you know, is they were looking for a car, her or like that. Well, somebody searched the Avery junkyard and within the first day, within hours of the first day, this woman and uh, these two women, find Teresa Hollabach's uh, RAV4 vehicle on Stephen Avery's junkyard. Over 40 acres of junkyard cars, and they're able to find it within the first few hours. I really, really had a high suspicion about, you know, I've been in many junkyards. I've been in many other places. If you have, you know, if you're looking for a certain vehicle in a junkyard that's that large, you don't find it that quick i'm just sorry you don't i mean it just that is like that is one in a thousand one in a million whatever you want to call it 
you know, and of course, and it was covered up with limbs and wood and pieces of wood and so on, which I thought was strange. Somebody was trying to hide it or make it look somebody was trying to hide it. And so, you know, based on the pictures, if that's how it was actually found. Then yes, whoever put it there, you know, made it look like it was trying to hide it. But I will tell you, if a person was trying to hide a vehicle, okay, if somebody was really trying to hide a vehicle, throwing a few tree branches and a couple two by fours leaned over on the side of it almost seems more suspicious than than it should. Because here's the deal. If you were pulling that car in there and you left it there, okay, on purpose, I don't see you having the, I don't see you doing that. I just uh, that just makes it seem like you want it to look more conspicuous than anything else because no other vehicle had limbs on it, no other vehicle had two by fours on it, no other and so on. So it's almost like it stuck out in a sore thumb because it had things on it. Not to mention it was less than a hundred yards or so away from a car crusher. A functioning, fully functioning car crusher. And so if it wasn't somebody on the Avery property or anything else, I do believe that, you know, that would have made a huge difference. You would have crushed that car. You could have made that car turn into you know, a sandwich, never seen it, never known it, whatever, or made it a heck of a lot harder to find if it was actually, you know, somebody from the Avery property who did this murder. Now, I'm not saying Mr. Avery's innocent, so don't get me wrong. I will state my opinion of whether or not I believe he's guilty or innocent at, at the end. But I will say, as each piece of evidence comes through, I'm going to be I'm going to tell you how I feel, and I feel like the car was more suspicious sitting out as it was in its location next to a road, by the way, that had access from the main road, and being one of the only ones that had all this stuff on it. I think that's more suspicious and thus leads me away from Stephen Avery in that case. Could be totally wrong, but that's my opinion on that. Then in this vehicle, in this vehicle, there are bloodstains. Okay. And the bloodstains are in some unique locations. First of all, there's blood by the key ignition, a quick smear. Okay. And there's, and then in the very back of the vehicle, there's also a pool and some drops, different like that, as well as also in the passenger side door area. Okay. Now, if you look at that, if you look at that situation, okay, why would blood be in these locations? All right. Obviously, in my opinion, okay, you're looking at the blood by the key ignition. All right. So he's got blood in his hands or so on. So he goes to turn the ignition, you know, start the vehicle, drive it, move it, whatever. Okay. If your hand is bleeding enough to leave this large swatch of blood around the key ignition, okay, then you are going to leave blood somewhere else okay you are going to that is you're going to have a drip a drop it's on the steering wheel it's going to be on the seat it's going to be in the cup holder area somewhere in that range you, you it's just it was very convenient then the other blood spots where it was just a small little pool like that by the passenger side door area and then there was large amounts larger amounts in the back of the vehicle thus meaning that does this mean this person was put into the back of a vehicle and transported somewhere. Okay. That's what it signifies. Okay. So we'll hold that little piece of information right there. Because the next thing is. Is that the body. Or I should say the lack of a body. Or bone fragments. Were found on the Avery property. That had. That were from Teresa Hollaback. According to the medical examiner. And that these were. You know. Bits and pieces. Bouts of the leg. Fingers. Bone. Whatever. Different things. Even parts of the skull. And this was all supposedly 
the majority, if not all of it, was found in a burn pit, which was basically 25 feet away from Stephen Avery's residence. Um, very, not very far at all, and come a very far distance away from where the vehicle was found and located. Um, thought that was very interesting, is that, you know, basically in the in the trial, they made some references to who and how, what they believed, how the Teresa Hollabach was, you know, abducted, murdered, and so on. So that comes into play. Well, then, of course, the other key piece of evidence where they, a key was found, all right? Now, this key is found uh, inside Stephen Avery's trailer. They also found a bullet fragment in Stephen Avery's garage. We'll talk about those in a second. Now, before all this investigation happened, remember, Stephen Avery was being prosecuted at this time. Not prosecuted. He was in litigation in a lawsuit against Matacawak County. And so before the trial, before even this all stuff came out, they used a different sheriff and a different DA from a neighboring county to handle this situation with an understanding that Matawak County was to back up and only supply vehicles and equipment used to, to handle the investigation. Now, I think it's absolutely bananas, as even the documented did a phenomenal job explaining, that they would even allow anybody from Mattawak County in the premises for any part of the investigation or anything else, considering the amount of, you know, the lawsuit and the scrutiny and basically <laughs> rock hard evidence that they were out to get this guy to even let these people on the premises. And so that is one of the biggest, biggest red flags for me. If I was a juror, I mean, can anybody out there tell me that, you know, they feel like that was legitimately okay. You know, of course, the documentary, you know, is going to show that and make you feel that and stuff. But still, if you pull all that back, no, no TV, no drama. Really, do you really feel like they should, anyone should even been anywhere on that premises? Okay. If there was any, any way that there could be a bias or anything like that and so on, you wouldn't want them investigating your case if you were accused of something you probably knew you didn't do or somebody or somewhere else. And so on. And that's the way the law is supposed to be. And that's what it should have happened. And so that right there immediately should have carried the heaviest weight, in my opinion. That was the biggest red flag, you know, that I could see. So anyway, they kept this house for eight days. They find these key pieces of information and pieces of evidence. Now, during this time, what kind of leads to all this is the infamous confession or coerced confession, however you want to put it, um, of Stephen Avery's nephew, Brendan Dassey. Brendan Dassey was a... Uh, high school student, um, and during this day, he got off the bus, and he claims that he went home, played video games, talked to his mom, did this, that, so went to a bonfire, came back, and so on. And this bonfire was with Stephen Avery at this burn pit, and that's all he claimed. Well, then, once he got done talking to police, his story went from, I was there, I was a party, uh, We it was a rape and murder of Teresa Hollabach, and her body was burned in a fire pit. Well, what I thought was incredible um, was when they showed the video of his interrogations. Now, given Brendan Dassey is a special ed student, he had an IQ of less than 80, somewhere in the low 70s. Okay. Now, in my regular day job, I deal with special education individuals. And I can tell you, a person with an IQ of 70, whatever 70, I don't care if it's 79. 
are is very, 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 very difficult for them to be able to articulate their thoughts, their actions, and memory, and be able to present an information it is 100% credible due to their mental capacity and intelligence. So not to say that he's dumb you know, like that. I'm just saying that Ben Adassi fits the mold considering that he was a very inverted person, very shy, does not know how to handle confrontation, is looking for the fastest exit of a situation and, and so on. It was completely obvious that the police were taking advantage of a person who did not have the mental capacity or the wherewithal to be able to handle the questioning and type of interrogation techniques they were using. And he was easy prey to determine what they needed to hear to be able to get their, uh, you know, their warrants and their investigations and so on. And this again is a huge red flag and it made my stomach sick i have never been as angry while watching a documentary as i've been watching that one when you see grown people who are trained to do interrogations to try to get confessions in any means possible and so on for a person to go after a student or you know basically a student not even a fully grown man and so on, who has an IQ of less than 80, who is inverted, who you is cannot contain and not handle himself. And you can read and see everything he says and agrees is after the words are put into his mouth. Or he is led so strongly by the way they question and encourage his, 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 um, how his vocalizes his answers. It, it it was it was disgusting and it was a travesty and that is not police work that is not justice that is a horrific example of taking advantage of someone uh, that is less and not adequate enough to take care of themselves and shame on you and you know and I hope the people involved those officers that did this and were a part of this. I hope they see this documentary and I hope it makes them realize what kind of people they are and what kind of stuff like that. No matter if Stephen Avery is 100% dead to rights, guilty, he killed Teresa Hollabach, Brandon Dassey helped him or not. No matter that he should have never been alone in an interrogation like that and allowed to be subjected to questioning and things like they were done during this entire deal. Because it was not only the police officers, it was also an investigator hired by his own public defender who made him come up with answers to satisfy police in an effort to help give him a plea bargain when, in his mind, he kept saying over and over, I had nothing to do with this, I wasn't there, and so on, but in the end was forced to draw pictures of what he said happened, which was the tying up Teresa Hollenbach, chained and gagged and bound, okay, the rape, the stabbing, the knife, uh, you know, the knife cutting the throat, and then the the shooting of, uh, you know, shooting of her before putting her into a burn pile, okay, and that was all where they had made, made him do drawings of it and so on, and it was all videotaped and wow. I mean, wow. Are you serious? And you can hear him on the phone congratulating. Oh, it went well. It went this. went so on. I thought, you know, and I'm over there clenching my fist. Like, what would I do to this joker if I, if, you know, if I could meet this person? 
how many people are out there going, what could I do? What would you do if you met this person and you realize that you saw that video right there and exposed that person for what he did to a person of lesser mind? You know, like I said before, Brendan Dassey, Stephen Avery, they have, they might have very well done this crime and so on. And if they did, shame on them. There's special places in the world, you know, hell for the people like that and so on. But I get you. But no matter, that videotape showed multiple police officers as well as private investigators that were hired by his own defense attorney that sabotaged that young man with how with against his will and that right there is unacceptable absolutely unacceptable going back to the the actual case with Stephen avery even though brenda dassey is a huge part of this brenda dassey said that she was raped stabbed throat cut and shot okay out of all those things right there, you know there has to be tons of physical evidence left behind because of all that story right there. And at this time, the new DA that's crossed, this, you know, I'm going to say scumbag, basically, and the sheriff over here decided to have a press conference and voice to a news media what they have learned from Brendan Dassey's awful confession supposed confession that of course she was raped bound stabbed throat cut still alive and shot before burned burned in a woodpile now if you are the average viewer on television and you hear this from a prosecutor and he's letting you know that they're investigating Stephen gave in your mind that is one of the most horrific things you could ever imagine hearing and that this person lives in your own county, in your own area. You're afraid of this person. You're angry at this person. You don't like this person and so on. And then guess what? You get the notice in the mail that you've been selected for jury duty for this case. Do you feel like that is fair? Do you feel like that is a way to go about police business? Is it, you know, basically to go out there and let the entire public know intimate details of the case that only the killers would know i mean wow i mean wow i mean that really 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 surprised me even before it sh- the documentary showed the defense attorneys talking about it when they went to that press conference i was like mm, that's not something i hear in a press conference when i hear big news around here i don't hear da's on there you know, gloating about the the circumstances of a death or a murder or different things of that nature. You might hear somebody got shot. You might hear this, but you're not going to hear about all the other little gruesome details, such as this person does. And he was smiling and gloating and so on. It's, there was an agenda. And it was so apparent. So, so, so apparent. So then, while they're investigating, during their eight days of investigating, Stephen Avery's trailer was... <laughs> searched multiple times and each time it was documented going in there via videotape pictures and so on and it was handled by uh this neighboring police station but matiswak county sheriffs were also involved and on the sixth visit when a matiswak county sheriffs were in there investigating without the neighboring police neighboring sheriffs involved or being there they find two huge pieces of evidence they find the key to the rav4 and then supposedly on the next visit to come out they find a bullet fragment in the garage let's talk about each piece of evidence the key is found by shuffling a 
note uh, note stand or you know book stand, whatever like that, like that, and it falls on the floor almost in plain sight. Now, I'll give you this room was searched five times before this piece of evidence was found, and the piece of evidence was found by the detective who was being sued by Stephen Avery for his wrongful conviction. Whoa, you got to be kidding me. I mean, how is this person even allowed in the trailer? Conflict of interest, conflict of interest. You, you, you've you, got to be kidding me. I mean, that is over the top. So while we're in the trailer, let's think about this. We have heard that she was raped, bound, stabbed, you know, shot, all these things. Not one drop of blood in this entire trailer. Not one. Not one. And do you know that RAV4 key they found didn't have a shred, not even a shred, of Teresa Hollabach's DNA on it, but it sure had Stephen Avery's DNA on it? Does anybody else find that very, very strange? Even as the defense attorney and the documentary did a great job showing, it says, basically, that only person ever handled this, the only DNA that's actually soaked into that little strap or anything in that key was Stephen Avery? No. No. That's another huge red flag. You know, I mean, it's bad enough an officer un, unassisted, unmonitored, as he was supposed to be, on his sixth visit to the exact same location happens to find this piece of evidence. That's, yeah, that evidence is garbage to me. And then to go into the garage... After the eight, of course, like I said, the trailer had no blood evidence, no anything else. Then to go into the garage, and they show this video. It's just junk everywhere. Car parts, motorcycle parts, this, that, so on. Cracks in the concrete, the whole nine yards. And the only thing they find in there is 22 shell casings from a rifle they found inside the house. Okay, 14 shell casings. I believe 11 or 14, something like that. No blood. No arterial spray. No bone, no nothing. And they searched that thing so many times. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, somebody takes a flashlight and just happens to look under an air compressor or something like that. And they find a what looks to be a marred lead bullet from a twenty two. And that's what they got. And now they're saying this is the scene of the homicide. This is where she was shot because they have the 22 shell casings and they have a marred bullet. Now, let's think about this. <laughs> when somebody gets shot or anything like that, the blood goes everywhere. They pulled up the concrete and the cracks. They tested all the concrete everywhere. They wiped out all the junk everywhere. There is should be enormous amounts of blood everywhere, even from spray bullets whatever they found nothing bupkis zero zilch and this is another huge red flag that is just so obvious and so in my mind at this point i'm a juror i'm like give me a break really i mean do you really want me to fall for this okay but there is evidence on both sides that doesn't make sense so we'll get to that as well so you put all that together, okay? We got no blood. You know, the weapon is inconclusive. The bullet can't be tested. You know, the it's just so many things. Now let's throw out defense's unique new little deal. So 
they go and check the evidence from the old case and they find that the evidence log has been tampered and that the old evidence cases, the seals have been broken. And when they open it up, you find a blood vial that has Stephen Avery's blood in it. And when you look at that vial, there is a hypodermic needle prick in the middle of it. And that should never have been there. And it almost looked like a smoking gun. It almost did. I mean, I was like, how more obvious is it that the own evidence that's being stored in a police station, only has done by police access, has been tampered with, opened without cause, without any documentation, as well as a blood vial has been has been uh, has been messed with, and somebody's pricked into it to get some out. Why on earth would this even happen? Where does this come from? Now, this is a TV show, and so I'm thinking to myself, what's a plausible explanation? Why would this do it? Did they use that blood vial as, did they draw from that when they did his sample to exonerate him from, you know, the who's 2003 case? Did they, was it used as a comparison? Was like, so, and so it's not as big of a smoking gun when I went back and looked at it in retrospect, when I watched this the second time and really, really looked at it and thought about it, and I was like, is there a plausible explanation? And the defense people use this as a, Ooh, look, you know, this shows you that, you know, they were going out to get us and so on. So it's kind of half and half. You know, you, you know, you just don't know. Did the documentary give you something to even add more intrigue? Is it something legitimate there? What is it? And so that right there I thought was kind of interesting that there was that possibility. So I didn't give it as a is so much the per se a smoking gun. It's some of the people I've spoken with and the people have talked to me about is that, hey, that, you know, that, exoner- that shows proof. And I was like, well, technically not necessarily. And so you just don't know, you know, it doesn't look good, especially when it's been opened and no paperwork with it. But, you know, this is small county, small county, USA. So you you can look at it both ways that way. And so you look at all that and so on. And so that really, really doesn't look, it really looks bad for the DA, the police and so on, because the way the things have done, conducted and so on. But think about the other side of the coin here. Do we believe that a police officer or multiple police officers went and cur- killed Teresa Hollabach and dumped her burned remains into you know this situation to make him look guilty? Think about how much that would have to take. Avery is admitted to doing a burn pile that that evening, picking trash up and burning it. Dassey has come out and said, "Yeah, I was part of it. No, I wasn't." And the confession looked very weak. And if anything, it was coerced. There are. There is a key on the prompts. You know, maybe, maybe there, he's, no, there is no dirty cops. Doesn't look good like that. There is a key there. The car is found on the property. It does look like it's been trying to be hidden very badly, which is more suspicious than anything else. You put all that evidence together, and she was the last person, last time she was seen was there with Stephen Avery. So there is a lot of circumstantial evidence there that definitely points at him. Now, the bone fragments, you know, they're on, and they're in the burn pit. He claims he had the burn pit that going on that night. And so if he is honest that he did a burn pit and there are bone and there is parts that are burned and so like that, how do you not see that? How do you not know that? Now, the defense in the case said that the person was could have been burned somewhere else and the body parts were, you know, put into the pit, which is possible. Okay, but there was no definitive evidence that said it either way. So, you know, it's possible, and it's, you know, it could or could not happen. 
you know, and then he also talked about the, the, the tube having EDA or whatever like that, you know, the substance that helped makes blood stay good, you know, for over time. And then there was no, there was no test that conclusively showed it either way. It was basically one, say, one's special witness versus the other special witness. And so that, you know, that was a wash, you know, and so that right there is, like, but still, Really, do you believe that one or multiple police or people in a conspiracy went to the links to murder an innocent woman that basically didn't look like she had ties of any negativity to anyone in the area to just basically put this man to prison in, in an attempt to prevent them from being sued and losing their shirt and the county being sued and losing gobs of money? Do you do they really go to that effect? Now, is it possible? Yes. Is it likely? No. You know, but you know, when you're looking at a case that's thirty million dollars and you're on the hook, and which basically means it's gonna take every red nickel you've ever made in your life, as well as basically torpedo, you know, your county's money. I mean, that is substantial. And the, and then think about this. If it really was a conspiracy to set up Stephen Avery, who would have the means and the experience and the know-how know and so on to be able to do it so effectively? Because it's not only that other people were involved in the investigation. There's also special agents and everybody else. You're talking about a lot of people either have to be in cahoots or you would have to do such a really, really, really good job of making sure there was enough deflection and enough evidence in one direction that there was never a way for them to even think indifferently of another direction. And that right there was, was, is a tall order because, I mean, blood in a vehicle, moving body parts, planting key, planting bullet, okay, uh, coercing a witness into saying something he you know he wasn't sure or didn't wasn't there or anything else. I mean, you're talking about I mean several. It's not like one or two things was done and it led to a you know it led to a conviction. We're talking one after another. That means you would have to know Teresa Hollabach was going to be there and the la you know and get her after he uh, after she left and then bring back the evidence, you know, and do it without being seen. Okay, and then putting those parts in the in the burn pit, you know, I mean, time, patience. I mean, you would have to do that way late at night and then to take the time and effort. The car, if you were driving the car, the car had zero prints. There was never a single print from Stephen Avery in it, but yet he had his blood on it around the key. That signifies that was he wearing gloves? But how did he get blood work if it was his? I mean that oh that was that's no good. So I mean it kind of goes back to the, well you know that's very possible. I mean people the the bottom line here is is that this if it was a conspiracy we're talking about a very large scale conspiracy and I just don't know if that's really really possible. I don't think that it, I think I think in my mind it would take more than a couple people to be able to achieve what this documentary has showed if it was a conspiracy to go get him. I think it would take multiple parties and you're talking about a real commitment and some really close people to be able to hold their tongue and be able to do these kind of level things and maintain this through an investigation to 
nail nail this Stephen Avery to the wall as well as um, you know Brendan Dassey, and that right there, wow. And again, it is a TV show, and it does make you think that you know, are you getting all the information? Did the documentary tell you every little tidbit, or did it show you nothing but the negative side of the justice system? Did it show you nothing but the negative side, of the DA and everything? I mean, yeah. I mean, they showed that he was a sexting pig that was taking advantage of uh sexual battery and rape victims and so on and then i mean good god what what a lower than dirt scumbag i mean give me a break you know Uh, i had zero sympathy you know (laughs) that right there should be uh cause to reopen any case you know based on what kind of individual and he was and the just the gross negligence from so many different levels. It was so obvious. And what do you do? You keep appealing up to the higher court and you keep getting denied. You, you show them mounds of evidence that are over the top conflicting, uh, should definitely be reexamined and so on. But instead you want to make it where this goes away and a man just spends the rest of his life in prison. And that just, that just blows my mind. And of course, as we've said before, Stephen Avery is convicted, um, even with the enormous amount of evidence that was so contradictory and so thin and so circumstantial and nothing matched and everything was just so left and right and just didn't make sense. you know. And I thought it was really interesting that they were able to talk to a juror who had to leave right before they decided this thing. And in his opinion and what he said, and this is somebody who's just speaking, said that at the time before you know he had to leave that the majority of the people in the room were were convinced he was innocent and that only two or three were stubborn and you know as to being guilty dead to rights like it was already a done and deal and that right there too speaks volumes but ju- juries are different you know you you never know people get tired they don't want to be there they want to move on i can live with this you know and so so you just don't know but i want to believe as a as a human being that I would want to make sure a person got a fair trial. Even in my little opinion, I look at him, he's like, oh, what a scumbag. Yeah, he probably did it and whatever and so on. But the law asks you, is it without a doubt? And considering the amount of evidence that was so contradictory and so poorly uh, brought to the table and so on, I just have a really, really hard time believing that he received a fair trial. Now, as I said before, he might have done this, and if he did, burn in hell. I mean, I'm sorry, you know, shame on you for taking someone's life, an innocent soul, and so on. But here or there, if I was on that jury, there was enough holes in those stories, and there was enough information presented from both sides that make me believe that it was not without a doubt, and that I would say he is innocent. And that is my opinion of his situation. And Brendan Dassey, shame on anybody involved with that situation and what they did to him and how they connected his case and the people who uh, did that, as well as the judge, Judge Fox, whatever like that, who denied and denied and denied more and more and more when it came to reasons for new cases and so on, because there was more than enough evidence to show that they, the case was not handled properly. Attorneys acted in poor taste, uh, almost against the law and shouldn't be sued and find themselves. And 
it blew my mind that this is what the world is today, is that we have two people in prison today that very well could have been a part of this murder. There's no doubt. A jury of 12 convicted, both of them. And I, I give you that. But really? I mean, really? I mean, if did you watch the documentary and did you see the things I saw? Did I miss something? Was there more to it? Which I'm sure there was. I mean, it was ten, it was over ten hours of information and so on. But the, the key things here were just so blatantly obvious, and just such a complete mind blown that these two people ended up being convicted based on what information was presented and how it was presented. It was just unbelievable. I mean, the fact of the matter is the entire, look at this. They spent the entire prosecution defending their case instead of actually presenting it. I mean, what does that say? I, I, I don't know. But, you know, Stephen Avery, if you're listening out there, and Brent, um, Brendan Dassey, if you ever listen and so on, I think you guys didn't get a fair shake. I think you deserve a retrial. I think that um, there was some uh, a lot of misjustice done here and so on. If you did it, shame on you. You're getting what you deserve. If you didn't, I'm praying that you may you know you, you get a retrial. The people out there are doing what they can, petitions and so on, to try to help you out. Um, and we see where it goes from here. I'd love to see where it goes. You know, I hope this doesn't turn into a publicity stunt. It doesn't turn into something where it's a money grab for everybody. Unfortunately, the other day I heard that the two defense attorneys, the ones that I felt, you know, close about, I thought felt good about, thought they were in the right reasons and so on. You know, of course they exhausted most of his money and so on. And now both of them are on a tour around the United States going to places to talk about the case and so on. And I'm sure this is a financial gain for them. And I hope it's not just for that reason. I hope it's to bring notice to the horrific, you know, cases, how it's presented and so on. And maybe that it helps shine the light and helps these guys get a retrial, you know, and things get presented you know, in a proper manner as it should have been and without bias and without malice and um, and be like it's supposed to and what the justice court intended, you know, justice system intended. And so that's how I feel. But overall, guys, the, the, the documentary is fantastic. I really, really enjoyed it. Uh, I hated it when it was over. It was sad. You know, you hate to, you know, you see the pictures of him in prison and, you know, one's not going to get out until like 2048 or something like that. And he'll be very old and, you know, Avery will never get out. And he's found love. He's found a new woman, all that stuff, you know, I mean, that's all great and good. But the reality of it is, is that, you know, he has no freedom. And as the defense attorney said, you know, You've lost your freedom. You know, you, that's who you are. You've lost all. I mean, it's just, it, it was a, it was with a heavy heart that I had to hear that. And, you know, and it makes it heavy to even think about it, that a person is denied what they should be allowed and right. And that's what the whole purpose of our system is to allow. And so that's what I think. But uh, other than that, guys, I just, like I said, I had to talk about this. This was just a good documentary, and I hope you all enjoyed it as much as I did. And if you disagree, I'd love to know. If there was parts that I was like, no, that's this and that or so on, or this is a show that's just for TV, or, or you know more about it. I mean, I've, I've gone and done some more reading about it, and yes, I've heard that there, it was definitely heavy-handed on some parts one way to try to make it influence a viewer to feel strong about something. But the parts that I thought, like I said, were key, you know, I feel strong about, and those were enough that made me believe one way, not with everything else. And so if you have a different opinion or there was something more to it that you thought of or you you, or you agree, you disagree, whatever, I'd love to know about it. Uh, you can always reach me, you know, and our 
regular host, you know, at bleedtvpodcast at gmail.com. We have Bleed TV on Facebook, and we have at Bleed TV Podcast on Twitter. Uh, and love to have, converse with you guys, you know. And if you got a few minutes to give us a positive review on iTunes, Stitcher, or something like that, I'd greatly appreciate it. Those reviews help us. We, you know, we're trying to expand our show, which we have been gradu- gradually, and look forward to doing more. But other than that, guys, uh, until the next time, this is Zach and Bleed TV, and later. Later.